Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live in the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. If you'd like to join these lives, watch past replays, or get any of the written summaries I do for these weekly, please head to the link in the show notes, drop me a comment, I'm happy to help you out. Now, let's get on with the episode. We are live. So today, let's talk about predicting injuries. But first off, I'd like to say congrats to Corey Scotty for winning the three months of free coaching. This will be super fun, and for everybody else who applied, I've already reached out offering a partial scholarship. So if you've heard from me, um, please message me back. I would love to love to chat with you about what that looks like and how to set that up. But let's get into today's topic of predicting injuries. First off, you really can't. You can't fully predict injuries. And you might get injured. I don't think that is a justification for you to be irresponsible, right? Like, I... I worry when I hear other coaches say, you're going to get injured, that that will often speak to people like me in my 20s, and that will say, well, people say I'm going to get injured anyway, so I might as well just drive myself into the ground and not care at all about recovery and just go for it. <laughs> and you shouldn't do that. It's, it's dumb. You're very likely to get hurt, and while I completely support the, the push to do well, Especially in a race, if you really, this is your A race for the year and you want to finish it, be damned like hell or high water, power to you. I really, I get that. That makes a bunch of sense to me. But if it's a random training Saturday and you're pushing out that extra mile, even though everything really hurts and something's probably wrong, think about that, right? Like what's, what's the actual end goal here? So if we're looking at injuries, you can prevent a lot or reduce a lot of your injury risk. There will be a percentage of athletes who get injured in any sport, but this sport is way too high. It's at least 50%, probably closer to 70, 80. Like we have, we have a very high injury rate in running. And sometimes you trip in a hole that was covered by leaves. Sometimes your shoelaces come untied. Sometimes getting injured is legitimately how you find that like outer edge of your performance. It's that last one that while I fully support that search for the outer edge, we would like to try and minimize the injury risk or injury requirements to get there, right? And because, because the first sign of a lack of weak muscles or undertraining can be an injury, but it doesn't have to be. We don't have to learn that we had a deficit by getting hurt. It is often the case, but it is not necessary. I'm going to use the assessment or the uh, comparison a little bit to heart disease here, right? To the, the number one signal that most people get of heart disease is death. Most people learn that they have cardiovascular disease when they have a heart attack and then die. That doesn't mean that there weren't predictive factors for that. Cholesterol measurements, arterial calcium scores, inflammation, just to name a few. And some of these tests might be more helpful than others. Some of them might not apply to everybody, but they're pretty great indicators we can use when it comes to heart disease. 
And it's the same shit when it comes to injuries in this sport. You can do a little bit of assessment work to see where you're lacking, and then you might have a better idea of whether or not you have a high injury risk. Again, you cannot predict anything 100%. Some of the things I'm about to talk about might not be relevant to you. If you fail some of the movement tests, it might be a 50% signal at best, but it's something. Some people are just gonna fail these tests and be just fine, but they're something. And that's what really matters in a sport where we have such a high injury rate that if it, takes a, if it gives you a five minute test to like push you in a direction that might prevent that, I think that's pretty great. That's a worth, worthwhile thing. So let's talk about you know, predicting injuries. Again, I'm not a huge fan of the term. I think it's more correlating or indicating towards, but predicting does the job. So first, have you been injured in the past? This is the biggest indicator of injury across the board. It does not matter what else is done. If you've been injured in the past, then you have a much higher risk of being injured in the future. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of them are genetic. If you have a propensity for tendon issues, then you might have genetic issues with your tendons. And I've done a whole talk on this topic. If you're interested, drop a comment and I'll get you the link and a summary to how to like take care of your tendon health a little bit. Because as someone who had a bunch of tendon issues from sprained ankles to separated shoulders to whatever, I think it's important. So I'm happy to send it your way. But if you have tendon issues, it might be a genetic factor. There are a lot of reasons here. It's not just genetics. When you get injured, a lot of people do not really improve the things that led to the injury in the first place. It could be mental. Some people just push too hard. And if you have that drive, if you're a very dopamine-driven type A human being, it's probably not going to go away just because you got hurt. You might get a little discouraged. You might lose your momentum a little bit. But you're probably going to come back and then have a really hard drive again. And you're very likely to get injured. It might be habitual. You might not eat enough. And you've never tried to improve that, despite the injuries. And that will lead to further injuries down the line. Or physical. The tendon thing I just mentioned, certain movement patterns, muscle, a lack of muscle harmony between certain things that can like push you to injury. Past injuries very often indicate future injuries for a wide variety of factors, but is the leading predictor for all of those factors. Cool. So... On one of those notes, another big factor or another big predictor is, are you eating enough? When we see things like the female athlete triad and red S, it is fundamentally an imbalance of calories. And these things will lead to injury if you suffer them long enough. They will lead to a huge struggle regardless, but they will lead to injury if you deal with them long enough. And the basic foundation of red s and the female athlete triad are you are doing a lot more work than you're able to support with the food you eat there is a caloric imbalance there and as such your body will eventually fall apart it could just be it could be an overall caloric intake issue it could be specifically protein it could be vitamins and minerals it could be a combination of all three and that's actually what i see most often i'll see athletes who undereat and then primarily eat some very high carb food, like pasta, so they don't get enough calories, they don't get enough protein, and they don't get enough vitamins and minerals, like calcium, 
right? Which means you are much more likely to get something like a stress fracture. Because if you are under-caloried, under-proteined, and have no calcium, your bones are going to fall apart. So we need to make sure we're eating enough and eating enough of the right foods. And enough is intentionally vague. It's really tough to nail down. And there's a lot of artist, artistry and some built intuition into that. But the point stands. You cannot perform well with if you're in this constant caloric deficit. You're going to get injured and you're going to end up with some problems, period. And there's a range. Everybody has an appropriate caloric range of what works for them. But I promise you, the number's not 1,200. Like that, is, that is a thing we can say. So we need to fit, unless you're five. So we need to figure out what allows you to fuel enough to support the activity you're doing, especially when you're training for something like an ultra and you're putting in hours and hours and hours a week. It's just a requirement for, for health, much less performance. And then we also have sleep. If you always wake up tired, if you always require an alarm, then you're more likely to get injured. You, I don't like to harp on the overall amount of sleep. I've done at least one of these on sleep. There's a whole podcast with Nick Reel that was well over an hour about sleep. I do not think the actual number of hours you get is a particularly helpful conversation. That said, you still need enough quality sleep to foster recovery and proper hormonal cascades. If you don't sleep, you physically cannot make HGH and testosterone, so you cannot recover. That's it. There isn't a magic number, but the number certainly isn't four, right? It's much like the calorie thing. I promise you that 800 calories is not enough to fuel an ultra training regimen. I don't know what yours is. I know it's not that. And it's the same here with sleep. I'm not sure how much you need. It might be six. If you're a little genetically lucky, in my view, it might be nine. It's not four. I almost promise you that. You need to get enough high quality sleep if you're going to recover and avoid injury. It is a hormonal thing. It is a basic rebuilding thing. And then there's a mental aspect to it as well. We know that running and ultras and all of this hard work has a high mental component to it. So if we're not recovering mentally through getting good REM sleep, it's gonna fall apart eventually and things will fall off the rails. So sleep is important. Now, finally, things we haven't talked about much before are some movement assessments that have been shown to correlate highly with injury. And there are a lot of these. One of them is called the FMS, or the Functional Movement Screen. And this is very popular in the personal training world. And there was another study done recently, and it was actually, they dove deep into it over about the course of an hour on the Run Smarter podcast with Brody Sharp where they talked about different movements that can help predict injury. But the three biggest predictors that I personally collected through research and everything, at least to start, if these go wrong, then we can dive a little deeper, but these are a really good place to start. First is an overhead squat test, then a single leg squat test, and just see how much ankle flexion you have. So for the overhead squat test, your feet are underneath your hip bones, and more or less straightforward. There might be like a 10 to 12 degree turnout, depending on you and your bone structure, but don't lie to yourself. 30 degrees is not 10, right? Like we, we want them to be pretty much straight. We put our arms overhead by our ears and we squat until our femurs are parallel and see what it looks like. Our back really shouldn't round forward. Our arms should stay up by our ears. Knees should not cave in. Your feet should not cave in or go flat. Let's keep that nice structure underneath our feet. 
your heels shouldn't come up. If any of these things go wrong, there's some lacking harmony between your muscle groups somewhere. And a lot of that can lead to injury. One of the most common, two of the most common things I see and have been guilty of at various points in my life, I'll go in and out of these, are knees cave in and feet collapse, like my arches collapse. And a lot of that has depends on the training and the work I've been doing. So if my glute needs super weak, and this is where this often comes from, I don't have enough to pull outward as I squat, so your knees are going to cave in, and that's really likely to happen. And then I also don't have great ankle flexion, so that's another reason it can go wrong there, right? So we can see exactly what's happening if we dive into it a little deeper, but that is a good test to like point us in a direction. There's also the single leg squat test. Same setup, but one, but you pick one foot up off the ground, and most people are probably going to fail this test. And partially, it comes back to that glute med issue. Most runners are lacking harmony in their like glute med in ratio to their quad and glute max, quad and glute max. So they end up with this knee really wanting to cave in. For some people, it's also an ankle flexion issue. We need to have enough ankle flexion, like to where your foot closes up towards your shin, to be able to actually do that squat. For some people, it's a balance issue, but. A single leg squat test can be really helpful to push us or to help predict injury, right? And then finally, ankle flexion. This is another super easy one to do. You stand in front of a wall, you need to keep your whole foot on the ground, and then you, one at a time, push your knee beyond your toes and see how far it gets. So stand away from a wall, push your knee out over your toes, keep your entire foot on the ground and then kind of adjust yourself until you figure out how far, when your knee finally hits the wall. And then you can measure how far your big toe or second toe, whichever's longer, is away from the wall. And that is how much your knee can track over your toes, which can give you a good idea of ankle flexion. I've heard some PTs say you wanna be able to get at least like three inches at a minimum past there. This is gonna depend on the person if you're really tall and you have a very long shin bone, you might need more than that because the exact same distance passed, just due to geometry, is going to be different for different people. But we, we want to be able to get fairly well past those toes without pain with the foot being able to stay on the ground and staying structured. If we don't have any ankle flexion, then we are constantly going to be driving on our toes. We're not going to be able to actually drive through our foot and the glute max in the back as we, as we push off with the glutes while running. So we need to have enough ankle flexion to allow that to happen. And depending on how these go, we can see some other things. We can see that the hips might need to open up or you have super tight quads or something. These are a starting point. This is why you work with a coach or a PT or a personal trainer. But these are good places to see if something might be wrong. These are three really good things to start with. And then one thing that the answer probably isn't is stretching, right? So I know a lot of people who are worried about injury and they've experienced a lot of injuries and their answer is always to stretch more. And that's probably not it. I'm not anti-stretching, but it's not going to solve a lot of your problems. It can be a gateway to helping, just like foam rolling. Stretching and foam rolling help release muscles. They help release muscle tension. But then you actually have to do something with that once they've released. Stretching and foam rolling are great, but they are like an access door to do the work. 
So if you've released a muscle and then you do nothing to it, and you keep moving through the exact same movement patterns you've been moving through, you're just gonna retighten that in the exact same way. This is a good gateway into the mobility work or strength work we need to get there. So you can roll whatever, and if it makes you feel good, I fully support it. Sports hard, life's hard. Like if you enjoy foam rolling and stretching, do it. But if you're doing it as your sole form of injury prevention, it is not the best use of your time. It is a great lead in to do some of that mobility work or strength work that can actually help with that injury work, right? And then, as I've said before, most injuries simply come from the fact that you did too much too fast. There was an imbalance between your recovery and your effort. And if you got injured, it likely meant that we just scaled too quickly or went too intense too quickly without the basic supporting structure. So you can try to predict that line with all the stuff we've talked about today, but other times you're gonna find it the hard way. You're gonna push too hard and you're gonna get hurt. So how do you feel or how do you deal with an injury once you have it? It really depends on the injury. Unless it's a stress fracture, you probably don't want to take complete rest. And it's actually likely to cause more problems. You wanna keep moving, but greatly reduce your volume and intensity. This, in, this movement will help you heal faster and it will help you maintain some of that fitness that you work so hard to get, right? But you need to drop the intensity and the volume. Also, increase your food or keep it stable. I know a lot of people who get hurt and then they drop their food intake because they don't want to gain a bunch of weight. You're not going to be injured that long. If you snap your femur in half, then we might want to like actually set up a plan that allows you to feed properly. Um, but for most people, if you've slightly tweaked your ankle, need to take about a week off at reduced intensity, keep your food volume high, it will help you heal faster, and everything will even out in the wash. And then if it is a stress fracture, you probably need to stop, period. You can do some work. We can focus on, say, a stress fracture your foot, it's really common. You can work on some upper body strength work, you can work on skill stuff. We can keep cardio through like getting in a boot and cycling, but very likely don't we, you don't want to be running on it. We need to take that impact force off of that to let the bone actually heal. And that's pretty much what I have for you today. If you have any questions, pop them in the comments real fast. We can talk about injuries and predictions and that kind of stuff. But otherwise, that's pretty much it for today. Cool. Not seeing any comments. So I'm going to head out. I appreciate y'all being here. I will try to get this posted as soon as possible. And I hope y'all have a great rest of your night and I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, Please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.